Well, this morning we are going to continue on in Genesis chapter 37. So if you've got a Bible and you haven't already uh, turned there, go ahead and uh, flip over to Genesis 37. We're going to be taking up in verse 12 and completing the chapter this morning. And last week we kind of set the stage. And it, it was an important thing to understand that you know God had a design. God had a purpose. And you know, I, I kind of dual named the message last week, chosen to suffer and privileged to suffer. And it's kind of an unusual message. Not everybody likes to hear messages like that. You know, a lot of people like to hear, oh, there is no hell, there is no hardship. You know, if you give your life to Jesus, he wants you to have a Rolls Royce and he wants you to, you know, run up your credit cards by faith that, you know, they'll, they'll get paid off somehow. You know, that, that, that's a very common doctrine. Uh, unfortunately, uh, in today's setting. But, but that's not always the case. That's not always what God wants. Sometimes God ordains suffering in our lives. And sometimes it's the, the storms that come that prepare us for heaven. We talked about Job a little bit last week and how Job was a righteous man. You know, he, was, uh, he was a humble man. He was somebody who you know, loved the Lord and shunned evil. And yet the Lord... Notice it. It was the Lord who said unto Satan, have you considered my servant Job? Now that's the kind of conversation most of us say, Lord, please don't. No, no, no. But the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? And that word considered means, have you strategically examined him? And it's, and that word, that strategically examination of him is like a, in a military sense. Have you found his weakness? Have you sought how you could penetrate his righteousness, his holiness, his love for me? And Satan's like, yeah. Yeah, I have. And the Lord says, all right, here he is, but this far and no further. So Satan comes and Satan attacks Job and you know, all the hardships come. You know, he loses his family, he loses his business, and then finally he loses his health. And yet he still holds on to his Lord. And he says, I will not curse him, even though his wife said, curse God and die. Right, that, that was the voice of his spouse, curse God and die and yet he didn't he held on to his integrity he trusted god and, and through the course of the chapters you know he has some issues that that get raised where he kind of questions god and like god you got it wrong you got it wrong you're my enemy god you know and he goes through those things and it, but at the end the lord speaks to him and rebukes him and in the end the lord asks him can you trust me you know it's kind of you have to read between the lines because the lord is asking all these questions that it's impossible for job to know and yet in between those lines is this one question that just screams to Job, can you trust me? Can you trust me through your suffering? Can you somehow believe that I can use even these things to be good in your life? And Job's answer was a fantastic answer. You know, he repented absolutely. But he said, before my ears had heard, but now my eyes have seen. As that is an amazing thing that comes Many times, only through trials. Many times, it is only, you know, we can have a knowledge of God. We can read books. We can have, oh, this, this thing here, this thing there, this theology, that doctrine. And yet, it's not until that we are literally just brought down to our very foundation, brought down to our very core, when we're literally being just broken, that we finally reach out to God in faith, in hope, and trust in Him. And we see that you know, God had a plan. He had a purpose for Joseph's life because he knew that there was a great famine coming. 
he had a great famine coming. And so what he did is like, okay, you know what? Joseph is the chosen one. Joseph is a man after my heart. Joseph is somebody that I can use, but he's not quite ready yet. And, you know, in order to save as many lives as possible, I got to get him to Egypt. And the Lord used division and anger and hatred. It's not that the Lord made them. He didn't like, he didn't like put anger and evil thoughts into their hearts and things like that. But he looked upon this family. He looked upon the, I wouldn't call it sin, but he looked upon the heir of Jacob or Israel. And he said, you know what? I'm going to use that. And then the Lord, to push his brothers over the edge, sent two dreams. Two dreams of them and their father and mother even bowing before Joseph. And their jealousy so overwhelmed them that they didn't just hate him, but they really hated him. And that word, the tense of that word meant they really hated him, but not just now, but into the future too. It was that place, it was that moment of writing him off. You are no longer mine. You are no longer my family. I hate you. You are through in my life. And so that's what we saw in chapter 37. But as always, life moves on. It goes forward. New events happen. And this morning, we're going to be picking up in the fulfillment of the brother's hatred towards, their, towards Joseph. So join with you, Will. Genesis chapter 37, verse 12. Then his brothers went to feed their father's flock in Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers feeding the flock in Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. So he said to him, Here I am. Then he said to him, Please go and see if it is well with your brothers and well with the flocks, and bring back word to me. So he sent him out of the valley of Hebron, and he went to Shechem. Now a certain man found him, that's Joseph, and there he was wandering in the field. And the man asked him, saying, What are you seeking? So he said, I am seeking my brothers. Please tell me where they are feeding their flocks. And the man said, they have departed from here, for I heard them say, let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them in Dothan. Now when they saw him, that's Joseph, afar off, even before he came near them, they conspired against him to kill him. Then they said to one another, look, this dreamer is coming. Come, therefore, let us now kill him and cast him into some pit, and we shall say some wild beast has devoured him. We shall see what will become of his dreams. But Reuben heard it, and he delivered him out of their hands and said, Let us not kill him. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood, but cast him into this pit, which is in the wilderness, and do not lay a hand on him. Now he said this, that he might deliver him out of their hands and bring him back to his father. So it came to pass when Joseph had come to his brothers that they stripped Joseph of his tunic, the tunic of many colors that was on him. Then they took him and cast him into a pit, and the pit was empty. There was no water in it. And they sat down to eat a meal. Then they lifted their eyes and looked, and there was a company of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels, bearing spices, balm, and myrrh on their way uh, to carry them down to Egypt. So Judah said to his brothers, what profit is there if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let it not be our hand upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh. And his brothers listened. Then Midianite traders passed by. So the brothers pulled Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. And they took Joseph to Egypt. 
Then Reuben returned to the pit, and indeed Joseph was not in the pit. And he tore his clothes, and he returned to his brothers and said, The lad is no more, and where shall I go? So they took Joseph's tunic, killed the kid of the goats, and dipped the tunic in the blood. Then they sent the tunic of many colors, and they brought it to their father and said, We have found this. Do you know whether it is your son's tunic or not? And he recognized it and said, It is my son's tunic. A wild beast has devoured him. Without doubt, Joseph is torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put sackcloth on his waist, and mourned for his son many days. And all his sons and all his daughters arose to comfort him. But he refused to be comforted, and he said, For I shall go down into the grave to my son in mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Now the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh and captain of the guard. Lord, we thank you so much for your word this morning. Lord, we thank you for what it has done in our lives and through our lives. Lord, I personally thank you that even as I sought to destroy your word, Lord, even as I sought to disprove it and show that it was wrong, that I might destroy the faith of my wife, Lord, you showed me that your word is true, that it is holy and God-breathed. There are no mistakes, even though I sought for them diligently. Lord, I just pray now that you would use the same infallible word, Lord, and that you would open our eyes to their truths. Lord, I pray that you would give us application for our souls, Lord, this day, for this week, this month, this year, this season of our lives. Lord, we look now not to men who cunningly devised schemes, Lord, but we look to the God who breathed them, who spoke them. Lord, guide us now in the way, for we come in Jesus' name. Amen. It says in verse 12, Then his brothers went to feed their father's flock in Shechem. Now, Shechem, when we say that word, for you Bible students, that it should also be like a little flag should go ding, 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 ding. What happened in Shechem? Do you guys remember? There was a big deal happened in Shechem just recently in our Bible study. You guys remember what happened in Shechem, anybody? That's right. That's right. In Genesis chapter 34, 30, uh, we see, that, that's towards the end of it, but basically in 34, uh, Dinah, the daughter of Jacob, the daughter of Leah, uh, went into the town, started hanging out with a bunch of the girls of the area, the Canaanites, and there she was. And then the prince, Shechem, he came and he basically, he raped her and he took her to his house and kind of held her captive there. And then, because it said he loved her, well, he lusted after her for certain. Whether he truly loved her, I have no idea. But he went to the father and said, hey, you know, get me this, get me this girl as a wife. You know, I, I love her, I want her. And so they went to Jacob and they asked him for it. Now, uh, Levi and Simeon, uh, the brothers of Dinah, said, you know, they kind of, they, they spoke deceitfully to him. And they're like, yeah, yeah, but you know what? On only one way will we, you know, allow our daughter to be your wife. And that's if you're circumcised with us. But not just you, but all of the people of Shechem. All of you must be circumcised like us. Otherwise, we will take our, our sister and we will go. And Shechem's like, that's it? You know, this guy's a prince. He's got money. He's got land. He's like, you just want us to be circumcised. That's it? You got it. He was excited. They went. They told the men of the city. The men of the city said, hey, you know what? Yeah, they're going to marry into, into our place. We'll become one people, and all their wealth will become ours. 
And so there they were. They did it, you know, and, and a couple days later when the soreness came, you know, there all the men are doubled over, laying down in bed. And Levi and Simeon took up their swords. They went to Shechem and they slaughtered every single man. Not just Shechem, but every single man. And they sacked the city. They took the women and the children as slaves and the whole bit. So uh, we see that, you know, we saw then that Jacob was none too happy about that. And he was nervous about the people, you know, the, the, the outlining, you know, cities and, and kingdoms around them. He says, you know, they're going to hate me now. You've made me obnoxious in their sight. And he says, so what have you done? And they're like, hey, should we let him treat our sister as a harlot? And that was, that was the close of the chapter. That was the close of the conversation. And now, now Jacob's children, his sons, they go back to Shechem. You think well, that's kind of a bold move, isn't it? You know, you know, here you know, Jacob was terrified of the surrounding peoples that they might you know, rise up and kill you know, not only him, but his entire household, take his flocks and everything. And now you know, these boys, they're like, hey, you know what? There's some good grass there in Shechem and there's nobody there. We made sure of that. So, hey, let, let's take our sheep over there. And so off they go. And it says now in verse 13, it says, and Israel said to Joseph. Now, I can't help but to pause here for a moment because we've seen how there's this wrestling match between Jacob, isn't there? There's this battle between Jacob and Israel. There's this battle between the two natures of Jacob because, you know, we know his self-confident, self-manipulating, I'm going to do it my way attitude that, is, that has been there from the beginning with Jacob. And yet then we also see this new nature which has been granted by God. You know, Israel, governed by God, a prince of God. And it's kind of interesting, and I can't say for science that I completely understand why sometimes either the Lord refers to him as Israel and sometimes it refers to him as Jacob, because in, at the beginning of chapter 37, it said in verse 3, now Israel loved Joseph more than all of his children. It calls him Israel there. And you're like, huh, is that really like a spiritual governed by God, prince of God kind of attitude to have, to have favoritism over one son over the rest of your family? If I really think about it, think about the character of God, not so much. And yet, we saw that God was using even that aspect of Jacob's life, of Israel's life, in order to set the stage to get Joseph into Egypt. Right? And so I don't know that it's necessarily always when Jacob is being holy and being righteous, but when God's hand is upon his life for a specific purpose, that the Lord refers to him as Israel. And we see it here now again, because I want you to notice something. It says that Israel said to Joseph, are not your brothers feeding the flock in Shechem? Now, the first time we were introduced to Joseph, Joseph was with the brothers, right? Joseph went out, he was feeding the flocks. He had the bad report for Dan and Naphtali, Gad and Asher. You know, Joseph was out there. He saw that they were doing some wicked thing and he comes and he tattles on, you know, to, on them to daddy. You never believe what they did. You know, he was an annoying 17-year-old. You know, we've all been there. We've all done that. And, but this time, after, you know, now, you know, Israel has exalted Joseph. He's given him the coat of many colors. His brothers envied him, hated him. They couldn't speak peaceably because they saw, they didn't just have a feeling, but they saw there was tangible evidence that their father loved Joseph more than them. And then not only that, but then God also sent dreams those two dreams. And as Joseph spoke these dreams to his brothers, 
And it says that because of the dreams and because of what he said, so there's probably some bragging. You know, if you've ever had an annoying little brother, annoying little sister, oh, guess what my dream? Remember my dream? You're going to bow. Bow, slave, bow. You know, I'm sure Joseph was doing stuff like that. I'm sure he was messing. It says that because of what he said, they could not speak peaceably to him. So every word was a cutting word. Everything they said to him was an attack because they hated him so much. And it says now that you know, we see further evidence of Israel having this favoritism towards Joseph because now the brothers are all off. That includes the eldest, that's you know, Reuben, you've got Judah, you've got the whole crew. You know, ten brothers are out there feeding the flocks, and where's Joseph? In his fancy coat, in the tents, relaxing, lounging with dad. Hmm. You think that's adding a little bit to the, putting a little you know, lemon in the wound there, a little salt on the, on the cut? Yeah, absolutely. So Israel says to Joseph, are not your brothers feeding the flock in Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. So he said to him, here I am. Joseph's like, yeah, I'm good to go. Then he said to them, please go and see if it is well with your brothers and well with the flocks and bring back word to me. Now, guys, I'm positive that that Jacob here had a very real concern for his family. Right? You know, as we talked about, you know, his brothers, you know, Jacob's sons, Joseph's brothers, went to Shechem of all places to feed the flocks. And, you know, Jacob, we already saw in chapter 34, verse 30, you know, Jacob was concerned. He said, You've made me obnoxious in you know the eyes of the people, and you know, you know, surely they will rise up and they will conspire and they will kill us. They will destroy us because of what Levi and Simeon did. And so there, there was this nervousness there, but it says that God put fear in their hearts. And so the peoples of that, of that land left them alone. And yet now it's like, this is kind of tempting fate. You know, the, the, the children of Israel, they take their flocks and it's like, hey, you know, we're just going to cruise over here. We're just going to graze our sheep over here. We're going to just kind of walk around aimlessly through here as the sheep, you know, eat the grass and the whole bit. Jacob started, you know, because remember, you know, Jacob, <laughs> he, he's always got a plan. He's always got a worry. He's always got a thought. And so, you know, he thinks of his children there and he thinks of his flocks, all of his wealth there in the land of Shechem where his sons, you know, massacred an entire uh, city of men, took all their women and children as slaves and sacked all of their houses. And he's just like, he starts getting a little nervous. And he's like, yeah, Joseph, you need to go. You know, go, go see how they're doing. And you think, oh, you know, okay, so he sends Joseph. But now, you know, are, are these like safe, secure borders? Are these, you know, are they living, you know, in the, the palace of the United States like we are to this day where you can, you know, hey, you know what, Jared, go drive down to San Diego and pick up some stuff down there, you know, by yourself, no big deal. Is that where they're living? No, no. It's more like they're living in Juarez, you know, next to the border. And you've got drug cartels and you've got, you know, all of these, you know, bad influences all over the place. You know, people looking to do harm. You know, thieves on the road, bandits ready to take your life, sell you into slavery, whatever. And Jacob is so concerned that he sends Joseph by himself. He doesn't have any servants. He doesn't have any guards. There is no escort. But Jacob sends Joseph alone. To, to see and to, to find out, if, to make sure that his sons are okay, that the flocks are unharmed. So off he goes, and it says, so he sent him out of the valley of Hebron, and he went to Shechem. Now, don't myth, miss this uh, here in verse 15. It says, now a certain man found him. And I always find it interesting when there's like an unnamed man, an unnamed servant, just a certain man just happens to be out wandering a field, 
where there are, you know, there, there's no more people out there because the city of Shechem was destroyed, but there's this guy just happens to be out there. And I always just kind of take note, and you know, I, I don't want to you know, make any doctrinal thing on who this guy might be, and yet I would say this guy was here to point the way to Egypt. This guy is there because what does he do? This guy, a certain man found him, who? Joseph. And there he was, Joseph. What was Joseph doing in the fields of Shechem? He was wandering around, right? He was wandering around. He didn't know where they were. He's basically lost. Joseph is just walking around looking for the flocks. Where are they? Where are they? I can't find them. What do I do now? And some unnamed guy, maybe he's an angel, maybe, who knows? Who knows who this guy is? But this guy out of nowhere just kind of walks up to Joseph and is like, what are you, what are you looking for? And Joseph's like, hey, have you seen my brothers? And the guy goes, yeah, they went to Dotham. They went to Dotham. I heard him say they were going to Dotham. And it was that moment. It was that moment that, again, it's like, you know, the, the first thing, there is uh, Israel sending Joseph out. Even though it's a dangerous thing to do, he says, go check on your brothers. So one decision, Jacob is, or Joseph is now on the path to Egypt. He gets into Shechem. He's walking around aimlessly, can't find him. Hey, maybe he's going to be delivered. Maybe you know, Egypt's not you know, coming after all. And then out of the blue, there's a man. There's a man. And he says, oh, I know where they are. They went that way. And it's a funny thing about God's will, isn't it? Because you know, I remember in Bible college, people all the time were asking, you know, I, I just want to be in God's will. How do I know if I'm in God's will? How do I know? I want to know. Because if I'm not in God's will, then that's bad. But if I am in God's will, yeah, I want to be in God's will. But how do I know? And like people would ask that all the time. And you heard me repeat it several times. That's what the conversations seriously were like in Bible college. People want, it was like, it was like God's will was this mysterious thing. And yet, you know, we, we look at scripture and scripture says, hey, acknowledge the Lord in all your ways and you know, he'll direct your path. Easy, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And so what we see here is, you know, Joseph is lost. You know, Joseph's not, you know, cunning device. He's not, hey, I've got this thing all figured out. I'm going to go here, here, here. He's not Sherlock Holmes. I know, oh, what's the path? You know, he's not, you know, like on Lord of the Rings, those, uh, uh, what's his name? The, you know, the guy who's going to be king. I forget his name and the elf, but whatever, you know, and they're all tracking and they're like, oh, look, a footprint. There it is. And, and they follow off. They go, they're listening to rocks. No, Joseph is clueless. He's just like, he's wandering. He's lost. And this guy comes out of the blue and just says, they went that way. They went that way. See, God's will for Joseph, he can't miss it. He can't miss it. He is on the path. God is speaking. God has ordained it. God has a plan and a purpose for his life, and Joseph cannot miss it. It's kind of comforting, isn't it? Because, you know, all of us, we really do. There, there is a desire. There's a want, a need for us to know that we are in God's will. And I'll say this, guys, if you have given your heart to Christ this morning, then guess what? You're in God's will. He will be leading you. He will be directing you. He will be guiding you. Now, certainly we can rebel against that will. Absolutely. We can you know, go down to Egypt. We can take our families down there. We can sell our wives into uh, harems and things like that. We can do all sorts of things that are antagonistic to God's will. But you know what? Does that mean that God is somehow like 
you know, inept, you know, that his hand is now short, that he can't move you to where he wants you to be, that he can't change the circumstances, that he can't move the hearts of politicians and kings and, and things like that? Of course not. Of course not. God is in control. And we don't always like to think that. We don't always like to believe that. Sometimes we can scoff at it even. I remember I did lots of times. You know, I would mock Heidi and you know, tell her that you know, her faith was childish. And yet, all along the way, there was the Lord just smiling, patiently, behind the scenes, moving me, moving me, moving me. Until that day where he finally broke me. And you know what? I am so glad for that day because I wouldn't trade one day in Christ for my entire life before Christ. Not one day. And so it says, so Joseph went after his brothers and found them in Dothan. You know, that was probably Joseph looking back on his life, one of the worst moments of his life. And you know, it's funny how fast life changes, doesn't it? You know, one moment, he's daddy's favorite, coat of many colors. The next moment, some stranger says they went that way, and he's coming face to face. He's finding his destiny. He's finding his destiny. He has found the will of God, and he is dead sinner in it. And God's will for his life is suffering. God's will, God's hand is moving him to a place where he will be humbled. And blessed are the humble. You know, blessed are you, rejoice, James says, when the rich are humbled. And he said, rejoice in your humiliation. Rejoice in that time of being broken before the Lord. And that is where Joseph is on his way to now. And you know what? Life changes fast. You know, one moment, everything is fantastic. One moment, everything is going great. You know, my you know, good friends, the Simonians, I, I've shared their story with you guys before. You know, one moment, they have their two sons. They're at Macaroni Grill having dinner. You know, they come home, and their son, William, has, he throws up and then has a seizure and dies. He's 19 months old. Nothing wrong with him. One moment, everything is great. Career is fantastic. You know, everything, you know, we have this great family. Everything is wonderful. And then in one moment, life changes. In one moment, life changed for them. And I was there 20 minutes after uh, William was pronounced dead. You know, I was there in the hospital weeping with them and crying, mourning with them. You know, looking you know, Amanda straight in the eyes as she was saying, Brian, why did this happen? Now, you've got to know that's a trick question. And if you ever find yourself in a position like that, don't ever say anything. Just keep your mouth shut. There is no answer. That's not really what she's asking. Life changes fast. And this moment, it says that Joseph found his brothers. His life will forever be changed. This is, these are the last moments of the pampered son for many, many years. And you know what? We can be, everything could be fantastic. Everything could be going great. And then in one moment, you could be bankrupt. In one moment, you can lose a house. In one moment, you can lose a car. In one moment, you can lose a spouse. In one moment, you can lose a child. In one moment, your kingdom, which you have put together with your own two hands, can come crashing down until there is nothing left. And you find yourself, as we will see Joseph, in a dungeon somewhere. But what will you do? What will you do? Well, I'll tell you, 
uh, we can learn something about this from Joseph's brothers. Look at this. It says in verse 18, it says, and now when they saw him afar off, how, how could they tell it was him afar off? The coat. That's right, man. That thing, it, it probably had reflectors on it or something. I don't know. But it's like, dude, they could see him afar off because they had a whole, they had an opportunity to plan to kill him. And then I guess Reuben wasn't there on the initial plan. And then Reuben gets in there. No, 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 don't, don't do that. Don't do that. And then, you know, Reuben's gone again. You know, and so it's like, there's a lot of time that's conspired. So they could see him way off. So that, that coat must have been pretty gaudy. That coat must have been something fierce, I got to tell you. I, 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 it actually reminds me of when I was a kid. My uh, grandma, uh, now you know, no longer with us, but my grandma once when I was, I was like 16 or 17 years old, she bought me a pair of pink slippers. I'm not kidding. They're fuzzy pink slippers. And on them, there was glued, like hot glued, like 100 sequins. Okay, I, I am not joking. And like I was into heavy metal and all that. I had my long hair going and the whole bit. And that was my gift. And it wasn't even a joke. We all thought it was a joke. We laughed. Ah! And then like, but that was it. My brother got 50 bucks and I got a pair of sequined sandals. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and all I could think of when I, when these guys saw him that far away, he was like glimmering inside. It's like, oh, there's Joseph. <laughs> so, you know, I don't know how gaudy this thing was, but man, whoa. So it says that they saw him afar off even before he came near them. And it says they conspired against him to kill him. Now, you know, this isn't just, you know, oh, I don't like my brother. Oh, I don't like, you know, this guy. You know, it's like, no, no, no. These guys were seriously, they were like, okay, who's going to put the hit on him? Levi, Simeon, any takers? You know, they, they already did the job once before. And, you know, so they're, they're seriously like, hey, who's going to kill him? What are we going to do? But we got to kill this guy. We are sick to death of hearing him. You know, we're sick to death about dad bragging on him and, his, and Rachel bragging on him. We're so sick to death that, you know what, we're going to kill this guy. And they were serious. They were serious. And then it says they said to one another, look, this dreamer is coming. So what, what's the thing that stands out in their life? Because remember, you know, they, they already knew that they had the coat. So they see the coat far off and that makes them sick. But then what, what have they titled him now? The dreamer. Who's responsible for the dreams? God. God. He said, look, this dreamer is coming. Come, therefore, let us now kill him and cast him into some pit, and we shall say some wild beast has devoured him. See, they got this whole thing figured out. Now listen, this is their motive. We shall see what will become of his dreams. Guys, so often we try to move the hand of God, don't we? We try to get out from under his will. Oh, no, 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 Lord. I don't want to suffer. You don't understand. It's not part of my five-year plan, nor my 10-year plan. Lord, no. And yet we see uh, Joseph's brothers doing this very thing. They're like, you know, God, God sent the dream. They didn't want to hear it. They didn't like what the dream said. You know, they didn't want anything to do with it, but the will of God was revealed. They were going to be subjected to their brother, to that annoying little 17-year-old brother. Yes, that is God's will for their lives, and they hated it. And so what did they try to do? They tried to get out from it. It's like, hey, you know what? We are going to stop this. This is not God's will. And you know what? They're not the first people to do that. You know, Isaac himself, their own dad. Yo, know, Isaac knew the will of God, didn't they? What did Isaac say? 
Hey, you know what? I know that the older is supposed to serve the younger, but I really like Esau. He's a man's man. He's so hairy. Yo, look at him. Look at all that hair. I mean, he's got to have testosterone coming out of well, everything. It's like, man, that guy is like, that's a man's man right there. Remember back in the 80s when, when hairy guys was like in? Like they, they, they're like sporting around in the, you know, the, never mind. Anyway, but it was like, this guy was like the man's man. This would be like the king of the 80s right here, Esau. And even though, even though Isaac knew, even though Isaac knew God's will that Esau was to serve Jacob, still Isaac wanted nothing to do. All he could think about was the tasty venison that Esau caught because Esau was a man's man, a hunter. Go get me some game. Cook it the way I like it that my soul may bless you, my son. All right? He tried to get out from under it, but then you know what? In his attempt to get away, to avoid God's will for his children, he found himself right on the path. He met God's will in trying to get out from under it, didn't he? That's exactly me in my salvation story. You know, in my attempt to avoid God's plan for my wife, for God's plan for my life, I ended up meeting him. Because what did I do? I, I started looking to the Bible that I was sure had all those false things in it. I, you know, I'm sure there was all those mistakes all over it. You know, of course it had to be because evolution is proof that the Bible is just mythology and stories. And yet as I search with my analytical mind, looking, 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 looking on my path to destroy God, I met him there, didn't I? And you know what? We see the same thing with Isaac. We saw the same thing with Satan himself. You know, look at Satan this day. Now, if you guys don't believe in Satan, just try standing against him for a few. You'll see quick that he's true. But you know what? What is Satan trying to do? He's trying to destroy Israel. You know, you look at why, why is Islam so intent on pushing Israel into the sea? They're this tiny little speck. You know, they're about the size of Orange County, maybe a little bit bigger, but it's about the size of Orange County. This little tiny nation. Yeah, and it's just like, why are these huge nations that have tons of resources, talking about the oil and all that, why are they so bent on absolutely annihilating the Jewish people? Because they're under Satan's dominion. They're being led and, and pushed, nudged by him. And this, this intent to absolutely obliterate this people is because Satan is trying to undo what God has prophesied. Because God prophesied that there's going to be Jews, they're going to be in the land, there's going to be a temple. All of these things have to take place before the Messiah returns, the second coming. And so what has Satan done? He's trying to attack, he's trying to destroy. You know, we saw it with Esther. Remember Esther and you know, Haman came and he tried to destroy the Jews, tried to wipe them all out? He was moved by Satan. Because if he could wipe out all of the Jews, guess what's going to happen? God's word fails, Satan wins. Scoreboard. And yet, what happened? The very gallows on which you know, Haman had prepared for Mordecai, the Jew, Haman ended up being hung on. In our attempt to avoid the will of God, oftentimes we will meet it face to face. And you know what? That's exactly what Joseph's brothers were doing because they said, hey, you know what? Here comes this dreamer, and we shall see what, what will become of his dreams. How can his dreams come true if we spill his blood and throw him in a pit? We'll see. We'll see. That was their heart. But then, you know what? The Lord has always got people on the wings, doesn't he? 
The Lord always has people in the wings. And in verse 22, it says, And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood, but cast him into this pit, which is in the wilderness, and do not lay a hand on him. And again, he said that, that he might deliver him out of their hands and bring him back to his father. Everybody wants to go, Yay, Reuben, good job, awesome. But you, you notice you know, there's a little bit of a shortcoming here with Reuben, wasn't there? Reuben's the eldest brother, right? He's got authority over these guys, at least he should. And yet he says, don't kill him. So you know, they, they were conspiring to kill him, to, to, to shed his blood, and, and then basically throw him out in the wilderness somewhere you know, where he would never be found. You know, that was their thing. He comes and he hears it. He hears them like before Joseph gets here, you know, he hears their plan. He's like, no, 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 don't do that. And he's, he's probably scared now. He's like, don't do that. And hey, instead of just saying, guys, that is absolutely wrong. No way. You know, we're taking him back. He said, let's throw him in the pit. That way he could secretly come back. Because basically his idea was, hey, let's leave him in the pit to die. That way we're not shedding our own brother's blood. Because that's bad juju and all. He says, so let's throw him in a pit that he may die that way you know, from exposure and, and you know, starvation and thirst and things like that. You know, let's let them die that way. And they're like, hmm. So they're, they're kind of like mulling that one over for a little bit. And then it says, so it comes to pass that Joseph comes, they strip him of his coat. And I bet they love that. I bet they love that. Ripping that coat off of him and just throwing him down in that pit. And basically it was a cistern. It was a cistern that didn't hold water back. You know, in these arid parts of the country, basically what they do, they would carve out cisterns out of solid rock. And Basically, they would wait for the rain, and then the rain would fill the cistern, and then they'd have a water supply. They'd have a well. And a lot of times, though, as they carved down these cisterns, there would be a crack in it when they got down to the bottom, and it wouldn't hold water. It'd be a cistern. You know, it'd fill up with water, but then it would just it would just drain out. And so we have this cistern sitting out there in the middle of the desert, and they just take them and they just huck them down there. So that's where that that's where he is now. And it says that in verse twenty-five, it says they sat down to eat a meal. So then they lifted their eyes and looked. And there was a company of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing spices, balm, myrrh, on their way to carrying them down to Egypt. Now listen to this. God has another, another man in the wings waiting. It says, so Judah said to his brothers, what profit is there if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Now, Reuben was just kind of like, hey, you know, let's not kill him. He was kind of dealing with fear. You know, it's bad juju if we kill our brother. You know, he's our, he's our blood and our flesh, so we shouldn't do that. You know, let's, not, let's just throw him in the pit and let him die. Let, the, let nature kill him. But now Judah, he's sitting here, and he's looking upon this, and he sees an opportunity. And he's like, all right. Now, one thing I have to question, though. Why did Judah, why did he offer up this suggestion? Why did he offer it? You know, was he there, you know, or did he come? You know, when they started conspiring about killing him and all that, was he there, you know, or did he come like Reuben later and sees what they're doing? And like, and he like Reuben, like maybe they glanced you know, each other a, a look and they're trying to figure out how they can get him out. I don't know. Honestly, you know, I don't know. We'll see in next chapter. Judah's not exactly an upright guy. He's not exactly a great, outstanding moral character. You know, I honestly don't know. But you know what? God was using him. God gave the dreams, God set the stage, God stoked the anger of Joseph's brothers because God had a plan and a purpose and he needed to get Joseph to Egypt. And yet at the same time, God is a shield. And God did protect Joseph from the, the full force of their hatred towards him because they wanted to spill his blood, they wanted to kill him. And the Lord's like, nope, not, ain't going to happen. So Reuben, the eldest, 
you know, starts, you know, he, he's the one who kind of starts to stand in the gap, says, let's just throw him in the pit, let him die there. And then all of a sudden, the Lord sent this group, the, you know, these Ishmaelites, you know, their cousins, come walking down. It's like, let's sell him as a slave. And then, and now he, he truly has a motivation that he can get to his brothers with money. Because remember, remember it said uh, at the beginning of chapter 37 that they envied him. And that word envy is they wanted what he had. Prominence, acceptance, a fancy coat, nice clothes. And so Judah says, there's no profit in shedding his blood and throwing him in a pit. Let's sell him. Now, it could be that, Joseph, or that Judah was trying to save Joseph's life. It could be that he really just wanted the money. I don't know. The Bible honestly doesn't make that clear. But you know what? It brings up the idea of motives, doesn't it? Why do we do the things that we do? Why are you here this morning? Why are you sitting in this church, hearing the word of God, listening to some praise music? Because you know what? Men and women, you know, we look upon the outside and we say, oh yeah, you know, that person, they're on fire for the Lord or that person, you know, they, they, they really need the Lord or whatever. But in the end, you know, the person who looks like the most devout person, the most devout Christian can be the one who has literally their entire lives just approached God with religion and hypocrisy and are Sunday Christians, Easter Christians, you know, Christmas Christians. And yet, and there could be somebody who, you know, is sitting there, and Joey's actually had this where, you know, people are like mad-dogging him in the, in, in the audience. I've actually had that. I've done, you know, this one family, I did their, um, I did funerals for them three different times, three different occasions, the dad and two of the sisters. And, you know, I, there, I remember there, there's certain members of their family that every single time I was there, you know, because the family, the ones who were kind of in charge of it, asked me to preach the gospel each time. And every single time I was there, they were sitting there with their arms crossed, their lips of this, and they were totally mad-dogging me the whole time. And you know what? The third time, there was a little bit of brokenness there, and they weren't mad-dogging me quite so much. And there was kind of a, almost a curiosity in their eyes. And it's like, you know, it's funny, because sometimes the most devout-looking Christian can be the one whose heart is completely hard to the Lord, and yet there can be somebody who's sitting in the audience who has their arms crossed and is just like, absolutely, I can't believe I am here. What a waste of a morning. And the Lord, the Lord could be using that study, that moment, this moment right now to say, there's the way. Just like that strange man in the field telling Joseph, they're that way, they're in Dothan. We never really can tell, but you know what? God is a discerner of the heart. He is a discerner of the thoughts of men. And where, you know, we can fool some of the people some of the time, most of the people all the time, whatever. You know, in the end, we can't fool God any of the time. He knows. He knows exactly where we are. He knows the games we play. He knows the religion that we practice. He knows everything. He knows the true devotion of our hearts. And so I just say, it's like, you know what? Guys, let's not play games with God. Let's make sure this morning, and it's like, you know what? If we're in a place where you know, we absolutely love the Lord, then live your life like you absolutely love the Lord. If you're in a place where you're just like, I just don't know if God even exists right now, then it's like, you know what? That's cool. That's an okay place to be. But the place that I would say, you know what? Stay absolutely as far away from as possible is the place where you say, oh, look, 
I'm great with God, and yet your heart is completely far from him. I'd say get away from there, run from that place, because that is the most dangerous place you can possibly be, because you will stay in that place right up until you enter into eternity. And if you stay in that place when you enter eternity, you will go to hell. Guys, we need to be real. No hypocrisy. We need to be real. And if you don't understand God, hey, I'm good with that. If you're angry at God, you know what? God's got big shoulders. You know, if you're suspicious of religion, okay, I was too. Absolutely, I still am. But if you are seeking God, then seek him with all of your heart, and you will find him. If you claim the name of Jesus Christ, then live for him. But this is no time for religion. This is no time for games, because God knows your heart. He knows your motives. When we sing those songs, are you singing songs because they're, oh, that's a cool song, I like that song. Or are you singing to the one the song is about? It's important. Verse 29 says, Then Reuben returned to the pit, and indeed Joseph was not in the pit, and he tore his clothes. That's a sign of mourning. And he returned to his brothers and said, The lad is no more, and I, where shall I go? And here in this moment, we see the impotence of Reuben. You know, there he was, you know, he was God's man. He was kind of like standing in the gap. He was kind of appeasing the brothers. He was kind of slowing them down. And yet, what do you do? Hey, let's just throw him in the pit. And they, they throw him in the pit and then off he goes. He, you know, you know, he's got, I don't know where he went, but he went somewhere. And then he comes back and he sees Joseph is gone because Judah had the bright idea about selling him. And now all of a sudden, you know, Reuben's whole scheme, Reuben's whole idea is that he was going to sneak back. Right, he was gonna. He's gonna. He, he figured out a way. Hey guys, I'm gonna walk this side of the fence with you. I'm on your side, and hey, let's throw him in a pit because we. Oh yeah, we don't like him. And yet on this side, he's like, oh, but you know what? I need to protect my brother, and I'm gonna deliver him back to my dad. Guys, you know what? Reuben is such a picture of what we can be as the church. And you know, when we try to have it both ways, when we try to have one foot in the world, when we try to have one foot in heaven, guess, guess where that leaves us? Impotent. We have no authority. You know, I mean, how can we say, hey, guys, this is sinful, this is wrong, if we ourselves are doing it and partaking in it? You know, how can, you know, what authority do we have to say? But now it's like, you know, if I'm willing to, yes, drive the speed limit, then when I, then when I sit up here and say, hey, guys, you know you should obey the laws of the land because, you know, God says that, you know, you should obey the ordinances of man for the Lord's sake. But if I'm driving 90 miles an hour down the freeway, what authority do I have to say that? If I say, oh, you shouldn't watch rated R movies, and yet I have an entire, you know, thing full of rated R movies, then what authority do I have to say to you, guys, you should, you should turn away from the wickedness. You know, if I, you know, if I say to you guys, hey, you know what, you need to, you know, be, you know, fervent in prayer, you need to be, you know, fervent in your devotions, you need to be, you know, men of God, you need to be women who celebrate the truth and shun evil, and yet if I make compromise in my life, what authority do I have to tell you that very same thing? None. And we see it in Reuben because he kind of walked the fence. He's like, hey guys, yeah, we hate him. Let's throw him in the pit. And then on this side, but I'm going to save him. I'm going to deliver him, you know, for my dad's sake. Guys, what should Reuben have done? 
Reuben, the eldest son, he should have stood for righteousness. No, we will not. We will not kill our brother. You will unhand him now. You will drag him out of that pit and you will send him home to his father. Period. That kind of conviction is hard though, isn't it? Because you know now, right now, Joseph is isolated by his brothers, isolated from his brothers. And if Reuben was willing to take a stand like that, what do you think is going to happen to Reuben? He is now going to be dejected. He is now going to be cut off from his brothers. But you know what? The deed is done. Reuben was unwilling to stand for what was right. And so what wrong, what was wrong ensued. They meant it for evil. And they were able to, they were allowed by God. And again, remember, remember God's in the background the whole time. But you know what? The funny thing about God's will, there's an interesting thing about it because you know what? We've seen how God used the Babylonians to punish Israel for their sin. And then, you know, and, and God used it. You know, they were the sword. They, they, God allowed Babylon to rise in prominence. He didn't stop it. He didn't cause famine. He didn't cause plagues like that to keep them small. But he allowed them to be prosperous, that they would grow. But the pride of their own heart when they came, not in the name of Christ, not in the name of God, but they're like, you know, you know there was you know, Nebuchadnezzar, you know, by the power of my own hand, you know, by my own might, I have done this. And then God ends up judging Babylon for their sin against his people. Now, don't, don't think that, hey, you know what, Reuben and Judah and all these guys, because it's God's will to get uh, Joseph to Egypt, that does not excuse them for their part in this, right? They will still be held accountable. They are accountable. They have stood. They have knelt before God because they're dead. They are in eternity and they have knelt before God and they have given an account for this moment in their life. And I guarantee you, you know, I've heard people say, when I get to heaven, I'm going to have this conversation with God and he's going to answer me some questions. No, you won't. You will be on your face crying like the rest of everybody else. Because when you enter into the presence of the Almighty God, all of our pride, all of our, you know, like, look at me. You know, I'm somebody and God owes me an explanation. You don't know, God doesn't owe you nothing. God owes you hell. That's, that's what we deserve. God has given us grace. And when we come before God, we will fall on our face because of that grace. Reuben had an opportunity to stand for righteousness, to be counted among God and his people. It's not what, that's not what the cards, it's not what life wrote for Reuben. His character wasn't there. He wasn't there. And he's like, where shall I go? He's like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? How, how am I going to face my dad? How am I going to face my dad? I know, this is, I know what this is going to do. He's the only one who had any foresight whatsoever. He could see what this was going to do to Israel. All the rest of them, all, they were completely blinded by their anger. They are completely blinded by whatever frustration they had at him. They couldn't see anything else. Reuben, he could see. He's like, and now I, where am I to go? What am I supposed to do now? And so now listen, first he compromised, and now he partakes. Notice that. First he compromises, then he partakes. And it says, so then they took, they, that's all of them, they took Joseph's tunic, killed the kid of the goats, and dipped the tunic in the blood. 
What were they going to? What was he going to do? And you you have to know that these brothers who did this thing because they already sold him into slavery. They see Reuben. They see his true nature come out now. That he didn't want this to happen. He's all he's freaking out. Now, do you think that these brothers are going to just like, oh, there, there, Reuben? It's all right. Come on. It's fine. It's fine. You think they're going to do that? What, what, what do you think these brothers are going to be afraid of now that they see that Reuben actually was trying to, like he wanted to rescue Joseph? What do you think they're going to, they're going to be afraid of? That Reuben's going to go back and tell daddy. What's going to happen to the, the brothers if Reuben tells daddy that you know, they sold him into slavery? I conject, I don't know for sure, the Bible doesn't say, but I conject that these brothers, when they saw this behavior of Reuben, they probably threatened his life now. Hey, you saw what we did to him. You know, we're killing one kid of the goats. We can kill two. And Reuben partook of the sin, and he covered the lie. And he goes back to his dad and says, is this your son's? And what we see, and they, these brothers, they, Reuben probably had the best idea, but the rest of these brothers, they had no clue what exactly it was that they were doing. Because it says that, Obviously, you know, he comes and he takes the sackcloth, he puts it around his waist, he tears his garments, he mourns, he grieves, but his mourning is far more than what they anticipated. It is far more. The consequences of their sin, the fruit, the price of their anger was far more than they were willing to pay. And it says that, that now you see his name is changed back to Jacob now. Jacob is so wounded that his life shuts down. And it says that, you know, they, they, see, they see him crying, they see him crying, and then it says that all of his sons and all of his daughters arose to comfort him. Hmm. Dan, Naphtali, Reuben, Judah, Gad, Asher, Levi, Simeon, all the ones who were so willing to destroy their brother. And now that they have done it, at least in the eyes of their father, now they're like, uh-oh, uh-oh, this isn't exactly what we had anticipated. Because now Jacob, and he's Jacob, and I think this is for a, a, I think there's a reason why it switches his name from Israel to Jacob. Because he is mourning and he will mourn like this, inconsolable mourning, all the way until he is face-to-face with, with Joseph again. Now, guys, are we allowed to mourn as Christians? It's an important question. Are we allowed to grieve as Christians? Absolutely. Absolutely. Are we allowed to despair? Despair is grieving without hope. Now, that's kind of a sin, isn't it? Because it's, it's a lack of faith. And that which is not faith is sin, is what the Bible says. And Israel, he mourned, but then he also despaired. And we will see from this point and the next time we see him, he'll say, long and evil have been my days. Long and evil have been my days. He never got over it. And all of his children, even the ones, all these men who were willing to kill and spill the blood of their brother, who sold him into slavery and sent him on his way, who made their father believe that he is dead, those hypocrites came and tried to comfort him. And yet it says that he refused to be comforted. He refused. 
to be comforted. Guys, you know what? You say, my sin doesn't hurt anybody but me. My sin doesn't affect anybody but me. And they're just like, hey, you know what? We hate our brother, so we're going to get rid of our brother, and then everything will be fine. No. It spills over into other people's lives. And when we are hard against God, when we turn our, you know, we shake our fists at God, guess what? It will have an effect in our lives, absolutely, but it will spill over into everybody else's life that you come into contact with. Guys, we need to learn from these men because, you know, their, their lesson was anger, absolutely. You know, they were dealing with this envy and strife and bitterness of soul. But you know what? Are they that much different than we are? I mean, really, when we get all down to it, are they really that much different than we are? Do we deal with anger? Jesus said, if you hate your brother without you know, reason, it's the same as committing murder in your heart. If you look at a woman lustfully, he says, you've committed adultery in your heart. You know, are we really all that much different from these men? And yet, you know, we need to be willing to, number one, humble ourselves. We need to be excited when other people are exalted around us. We need to be, you know, there and blessed when they're blessed. You know, we need to be forgiving when they wrong us. Joseph did wrong them, absolutely. We need to be willing to forgive. We need to be willing to die to ourselves. That's what Christ said, isn't it? If you wish to be my disciple, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. How their story would have been rewritten if they had been led by the Lord, if they were Israel, if they were princes of God, governed by God. And yet the Lord used even their sin for his will, and we will see his will done. His will, you know, I'm going to give you guys a, uh, just a little sneak peek into the future. We, those of you who are here on Wednesday nights for Revelation already know the answer, but in the end, God wins. So if you didn't know that, it, you know, may, maybe you're like, you're having trouble figuring it out. It's like, wow, man, Satan seems really, you know, powerful or things like that. You know, in the end, every knee will bow before God and every tongue will confess. And, you know, I've said it before, like Richard Dawkins, you know, he, he's like, he's a very, um, prominent atheist who, you know, he strikes out against the church. You know, he's the one who says that, hey, you know what, all children of Christians should be taken away from their parents because, you know, they're, they're, they're poisoning their minds and the whole bit. And it, it honestly, it reminds me of Voltaire, you know, back in his day, he, you know, he, he made the claim that in a hundred years, God will completely be wiped from the memories of everybody and the whole bit. And those people, those people, did they really, because you know what atheist means, right? No God. No God. That's what atheist means. Do they really believe that? If you ever, anybody here seen Expelled? You know, Richard Dawkins, the great Richard Dawkins, atheist of atheists, the mouthpiece of the atheist movement. When, when he was finally pressed to it, you guys remember what he said? At the very end of it, he was basically like, I'm at least 50% sure there's no God. What? 50%? You're the spokesperson of atheism. 50%? That's it? 50% sure? You think, oh, well, he's weak. He's weak. No, he's not. But, okay, let's go to Voltaire. Here's a guy who, you know, he, on his deathbed, on his deathbed, he didn't give up that claim. But you know what? I don't, did anybody here, you know, know about the death of Voltaire? Voltaire? Do you know how he died? He died in an argument with God. Yeah, funny, isn't it? 
This atheist who vowed to destroy Christ from the minds of all the people on his deathbed was cursing God, speaking to somebody who didn't exist. You know, what I will say is that he does believe, he did believe, but he hated God. He was angry with God. Richard Dawkins believes in God. He knows there's a God because eternity has been placed in his heart. Eternity is placed in all of our hearts. The question is, are we in rebellion to that God? Or are we in submission to him? It's an important question. Because there are no true atheists. There are agnostics. People, that they, don't, they don't know the difference. But I've never once met a true atheist. Because they know. But they have ulterior motives. They're angry. They're angry at God. They hate him. They don't want to be under his control. And so they rebel and they scoff. They attack. Guys, here we are. Here we stand. What will we do? The hand of God is moving. The hand of God is in each one of our lives. And we have a choice. Will we allow him to move us? Or will we fight? Will we rebel? You know, we see it here. Joseph, he doesn't have much choice in this. But you know what? God was with him the whole way. And he honors his God through the rest of his life, even in the circumstance that he finds himself. What choice will you make this morning? Who will you live for? How will you live for him? It's an important question. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Lord, we thank you for just speaking to us through the life of Joseph. Lord, for speaking to us through the lives of his brothers. Lord, we just pray that you would just minister to us now, Lord, that, Lord, wherever we find ourselves, Lord, that you would speak. Lord, we need you in our lives. Lord, we need you to show us that you are true. Lord, you do not ask us to abandon our thoughts and our minds, our reason, Lord, but you ask us to come with our intellect that you may prove that you are God. Lord, help us to submit to your will. Help us to walk in your ways that we might truly glorify you in this generation that they may know that you and you alone are God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
darkness of their hearts and say, let there be light, that they might rise from the ashes, Lord, into new life in Christ. Father, we thank you so much for this day. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. Have a great, great week. If you have any questions about the study or about salvation or any such things, I'm here for you guys. God bless. Thank you, sir. You need a little bit of days. What did I say? Long. Oh. <laughs> it is a long time. They were long. Yeah. You and evil. That's right. That's right. It doesn't have anything to do with that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. For anybody who.